Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest on Be Brave at Work. Matthew Stibba studied history at Pembroke College, Oxford, before starting Intelligent Games, a computer games company. He sold the company 10 years later in 2000, and he started doing a number of things, including writing for magazines like Wired, Popular Science, and Director. The writing bug led him to create a new organization called Articulate Marketing, which provides genius marketing for technology companies, where he is currently the CEO. He also launched another organization called Turbine, which is an online app that simplifies routine business paperwork, such as exciting things like purchase orders. So we are really excited to have you with us today on Be Brave at Work, Matthew. I'm delighted to be here, and um, purchase orders are Definitely exciting. They're, they're, if you get them right, you can save a lot of money. I care a lot about purchase orders, he says, hoping his CFO is listening. No, I think you're absolutely right because I do have a client company, and one of the things they had done recently was hire a business consultant, and the business consultant came in and identified that they were not doing purchase orders correctly in collecting, and the amount of money that they have now collected that was billable. So this isn't new money. This was just money they should have been getting, which they weren't getting is significant, right? So they are happy as birds on clown dine because they have found already existing revenue that they had not been collecting previously. But that's another podcast for another day. Matthew, thank you so much again for joining us. I did a very light bio of you, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about how you have come to do what you do today and what your organization does. Sure. Well, uh, I'm English, so I'm automatically embarrassed about talking about myself, except in a sort of ironic way. But I I run a marketing agency, as you said, um, Articulate Works for technology companies. We don't really care about size. Our largest client is Dell, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees. Our smallest client is a three-person air traffic control boutique consultancy, which 
is if you're into that, that's a really important thing. They do a great work and they're very clever, but they're all united by this, this sort of passion for technology, as are we. The agency's 19 people, mix of writers and designers and website developers and strategists, and we help clients get more customers and reach more people and get their, tell their story. Uh, so that's, that's what I do. Most of my days, I'm in meetings. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I'm, I'm talking to people and trying to excite and engage employees, clients, partners, suppliers, and sort of help them advance their cause. Well, I can't think of anybody listening who doesn't think air traffic control is not important. <laughs> I have it doesn't work. It's very, it becomes very serious, right? Yes, exactly. Um, right, right. When it's when it's bad, it's a big, big problem. But, <laughs> but that's fascinating. I remember, sorry, I could tell you a little story. When I was flying to France once, I used to be a pilot. I used to have a little plane. And I was flying to a French airport and I was being handed over uh, from one air traffic controller to another. And I was being handed over from Paris Centre to this approach controller at this little French airfield. And nobody answered my radio call. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into that. I want to talk to somebody. Nobody was. So I went back to Paris Centre and I said, Look, there's nobody there. Oh, oh, yeah, they are at lunch. They are having lunch. Oh, they'll come back in two hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not going to fly over the field for two hours while they finish their lunch. So, yes, air traffic control is important, and they need to be in the control room. Absolutely. Well, you have to finish the story. So did you just land on your own, or did you fly I, around I, for two yeah, hours? I took, a, I took a wild chance and landed. And the nice thing yeah. about France is, is, although there's a lot of rules and regulations and long lunches, there's also, also an awful lot of people who don't care that much. Right, right. Well, I'm glad to hear that it turned out okay. So let's talk a little bit about this area of marketing. And, you know, I am a small business owner. And so as I think about the people that I work with, other colleagues who are in my industry, you know, the area that seems to create the greatest amount of concern for them isn't in service delivery, it's in marketing. It's in talking about themselves, the amount of times they have to talk about themselves. You know, it's not just once you say what you do and now you have a career for the next 10 years, you have to do it on a recurring basis. And for some people, it requires bravery. You know, this, as you said, hey, I'm English. I don't want to really stand up here and talk about myself. And that's how a lot of people feel about marketing. They don't want to get up and talk about what they do or how well they do it and what their client experiences have been. And I'm wondering if maybe you could share with us a couple of minutes, you know, some of your observations as it might relate between this arena of marketing and bravery. So I know it's a little bit of an off-the-cuff question, but I'd, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and observations as the two of those might relate. Well, yes, I will. I'll share a, a thought that I have about marketing. Generally, it is not about talking about yourself, your business, your services, your products. If it's done right, it's about talking to your prospective clients about their problems, their needs, their issues, their goals and dreams in their language. Most likely, they do not wake up in the morning going, I need to buy X, Y, and Z, or I need a you know, service provider to do X, Y, and Z. They probably don't wake up and go, I need a new website or I need SEO. What they do is they wake up and go, I need more customers. I need to differentiate myself from the competition. I need to improve or defend my margins, right? These are the sorts of problems that businesses have. 
they don't have marketing problems, they have business problems that they want to solve. So the really challenging thing for most business owners, and certainly most technology companies, is the thing that got them to start the business, the thing that excites them is the thing that they do. They're experts at something, or they've invented something, or they've built a product. They know that product intimately, or that service intimately, or that area of expertise intimately. So what they do is they want to talk about that. They want to talk about themselves, their product, in their language. But that might not be what the customer is looking for. The number one job of a marketer, I think, is, is a kind of anthropology, getting into the mindset of your customers and understanding them and really diligently validating their needs and, and goals and then talking to those issues. And once you've started that conversation, you can talk about your products and services in the right context. Well, look, I think this is a really important distinction for our listeners as it pertains to marketing, because even as I described it to you, you know, your response was you're looking at it from the wrong way, Ed, right? This is not what effective marketing should look like. So don't think about you and what you do and how good you are and how fantastic your pricing is and how many services you provide. It sounds as though what you're suggesting, it's more about the client's needs. You know, what are their problems? And what are their situations? And I think for most people, and I'm in the coaching industry, so for business consultants who focus on leadership development and coaching, that's what we do with our clients, right? When I sit and talk with a particular client who has hired me, I want to know all about them. You know, I don't get up there and say, oh, by the way, thank God you hired me. I'm so fantastic at what I do. And here's how good I am, right? I, I want to spend time hearing about you. And it sounds as though that's very similar, right, in respect to you know marketing your organization. I, absolutely, and and I think there's an, a useful analogy. I divorced and remarried about eight years ago. I met my present wife about eight years ago. So I had a brief period while I was single and talking to dating, dating, having not done it since I was a teenager. So dating, 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 and I very quickly learned that the secret of dating is shut up. Let the, <laughs> let the nice person you're talking to tell talk to you. Right, and here's the here's the thing. The, the you know, if you are genuinely interested in people, you're open to listening to them, understanding their their, their needs and goals and, and dreams. You make space for them to talk. You sound much more interesting. They think you're very intelligent and a nice person. And a listener. So the less you say, the more the better you look. What is true for dating is also true, as I said, for marketing where you're trying to understand them. But it's also true for sales. Um, Letting people talk during the sales process is the best sales technique. So I think this is this is a this is a, a useful insight that I've discovered. And here I am rabbiting away, not doing a particularly good job of either marketing or selling myself. But um, and I'll give you an example to to lead into a, a story about when I was not brave at work, because I think that's what you're hoping to get from me. Um, we had a client a few years ago, and I'll try to be very careful not to. Be name and shame, a prospect who came to us and he was very keen all the way through the sales process to tell us how clever he was, how expert he was, how brilliant he was, what an amazing business person he was. He had this, this ego, the ego had landed, right? And he just really was talking all the time, not, not just about his, his business or what he was doing, but about himself. It was quite extraordinary uh, how much. So all, all our antennae were going, 
this is not a great, you know, this is, we don't quite like, we don't like this guy. He's not listening to our advice. He's not really engaging in our sales process. He wants to tell us how we should run our business. He wants to tell us it, how expert he is. And he was in a field of business that looked like a field of business we wanted to be in. He, it was sort of big data, data analytics, AI type of thing. At least that's what he was telling us, right? But it was in, it was, it was, we, we are a B Corp and we try to avoid certain areas. Uh, we wouldn't, for example, work for an arms manufacturer. Okay. He wasn't an arms manufacturer, but he was in one of those sort of slightly gray areas of business. And we were like, we don't like you very much. You're going to be a very challenging client and you're in a business area that we probably shouldn't work for. And I went and did conversations with my colleagues and said, how do you think about, do you, do you think about this? Okay. And uh, this went on for about a month and a half. We were doing going through the sales process, and then he, he, you know, he started saying, "Well, he's got he's got big ambitions. I've got loads of money. I've got venture. I've got funding. I'm going to do this." And then he started negotiating about the price. So not only was he a difficult client, he was in an uncomfortable business, but he was also like trying to put the squeeze on us. And then COVID came along, and you know, you. you may remember, listeners may remember that sort of March, April of 2020, nobody knew how bad it was going to get. They were talking about, you know, emergency hospitals and huge death rates being very uncertain and very scary. And I thought, I need to get this customer. I need the business because I don't know how bad this situation is going to get. And, you know, I'm a business owner and I'm responsible for my people and I'm responsible for paying the payrolls and I'm responsible for their livelihoods. And I can't afford to sit here and be judgy about people's character and be judgy about the businesses that they're in. And so I signed him as a client and we started work on their website. And I did it through gritted teeth against the advice of my colleagues for good reasons, I think. I mean, we, <laughs> it was an, a bit of a, a, an emergency situation. Anyway, so we took him on, started the project anyway. And then it turned out all the things that I was worried about, you know, turned out to be true. He was an extraordinarily difficult client, sort of demanding in a way that was not constructive, for example. Like, I don't like it. Well, what don't you like? I'm not telling you. That's your job to figure out. What are we supposed to do with that? Uh, you know, I thought you were Y and Z. And we were like, where does it say in the contract we were going to do X, Y, and Z? What, what gave you that idea that we were going to do two weeks of free work for you? Oh, well, I just assumed that, you know, it included, uh, I want that rewritten. I want that done again. I want that. And every, every conversation was preceded by this, um, um, I've got to be careful not to be political, but by this gigantic, bloviated, ego-driven conversation about how great he was. And it was like trying to browbeat us into... Submission. And, and for some people, this sort of bullying tactic works. I mean, you know, a lot of people will, will comply. And you can, if you are a, a would be tyrant, you can surround yourself with yes people who will do what you say. Now, some people in, quite like subordinating themselves. Anyway, this project went on and on and on. And I deeply regretted doing that. And I did it. I, I could have been braver. I could have just said, you know, I, I'm sticking to my guns here. And I, though I feel like I had a good reason to do it, and I remember somebody telling me that it's easy to do the right thing when it doesn't cost you anything, but when there's a cost, when it's challenging, that's when you find out what the right thing is to do. 
do. And that's when you find out whether you can do it. And I hold on to that memory. And, and in fact, this very week, we had another bloviating bully perspective client try and give us a load of grief and tell us how great he was and negotiate on price and all this. We actually just turned him down. And we would quite like some business now. I don't know if you've heard, but the UK economy is in a nosedive and it's all going terribly badly wrong. You know, and I'm, it's not quite as bad as COVID, but now is a time to be, be banking as much business as we can. And it, I just remembered back to this story and this, this experience I'd had before. And I went, right, no, no, you're a bad client. Don't worry. I will say no to you and I will make space for something better, even if it means I have to pay the, the money, you know, even if it affects my, my personal income. Yeah. Well, it sounds as though what impacted you in your original decision and what you have learned from and are now doing a little bit differently. And that's one of the benefits of having a problem in the past is that you hope you learn from it so that you can behave a little bit more appropriately or in alignment with your goals and values is what we call rationalization, which is, you know, it was COVID businesses down, whatever. And you decide, hey, you know, something's better than nothing. Let's take them on. Right. And now and you suffered the consequences. Right. And now today you have a similar client who's come and you learned from that prior interaction, which is one of the things we hope people who are attempting to be brave at work learn from past experiences of either not saying something they should say or saying it in a way that didn't help to learn from it, to do it a little bit more effectively. And so, you know, it sounds as though you've told this newest person, uh, thank you so much for your time. We don't feel that we're the right fit for you. Have a nice life. The phrase I use was, I don't think we're a good fit for this project. And so exactly what you said. And it's hard. If you are a business owner, it's really hard to say no to work. It's really hard to go. It is. Because, you know. Well, and, you know, well, I agree. And uh, again, as a business owner, right, I enjoy revenue, right? I really think it's great when it happens. You know, I, I can't think in my career uh, as an independent consultant, if I've ever had a situation where I've met somebody like your first client who was so such a turnoff that it would be, you know, nonsensical for me to do it. And I did it anyway. Uh, I've had some people who have evolved into those type of clients where they started out apparently normal and then deviated and so forth and so on. But it is hard to say no to revenue, right? I mean, revenue is king and it's what it's the blood of a business, right? It keeps us going and moving and it allows us to do what we need to do and uh, grow as we want to grow and invest in we want to invest. If we don't have revenue, we can't do that. Of course, we want to generate it appropriately and use it appropriately. But, you know, it, it again, it sounds like rationalization, Matthew, is what impacted you. And it sounds as though, to your credit, you've learned from it. Well, uh, you know, if, if all we were all we were interested in was money, we'd all be pimps and drug dealers. So there's always there's always a degree of sort of ethics <laughs> or preference or you know something or or um, hedge fund traders, I suppose. None of which, by the way, pay taxes, including hedge fund <laughs> traders. So yeah. they all seem to avoid paying taxes somehow, right? Yeah, somehow. And in our in this sector dial, we have now decided it's more important to give bankers unlimited bonuses than it is to have a, you know, a functional health service or anyway, a bit of politics. Let's move on from that. It's not a good time here. Um, there is this danger because nothing is, very few things come along as black and white, right? 
probably in that particular case, his behavior should have been a bigger warning sign than it was. And I think we're better attuned to that. But the thing I knew I was doing wrong and the thing at the, at the very moment I knew I shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing was the sector that he was working in was not compatible, objectively not compatible with our B Corp values. So I knew I was making a compromise. And not only that, I went and talked to my colleagues and they said, no. And I, I rationalized, to use your word, I squared that away with my conscience by saying to my staff, if you don't want to work on this client or this project, you can exercise your own individual conscience. Tell me I won't make you work on this client. But actually, that was badly delegating my moral responsibility to other people, because really nobody in a company is actually going to say to their boss and employer, uh, actually, I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to help the company in this emergency, right? You know, they the, the power balance is even worse for them because it's not only the client, but it's like the client and the boss. In fact, one person did have the courage to say, I really don't want to work in this sector. Please don't put me on this. Yeah, I think these are both areas that relate with our listeners. One, the ability to say no to revenue. It takes bravery to say no to something that could provide you all sorts of benefits as an organization. And then if the company does take it on, it to your point, it's hard to say no to a boss who says, hey, we've taken on this client. If there's anybody here who doesn't want to work on it, let me know. I'm thinking, well, do I want to be that type of person? And is he going to hold it against me later? You know, these are all the issues that people deal with when they avoid being brave at work. Matthew, we've really enjoyed speaking with you today. And thank you for your candor and sharing that story. I think our listeners can learn a lot from how to say no and how to be brave in the face of something that can provide them a benefit, right? It's good to take revenue. It's good to be, it's good to keep your boss happy. So those are all big pluses, yet sometimes we need to say no. And I think you've shared that you have learned from that really effectively. If folks want to find out more about your business and how you are interacting in the marketplace, where can they go to find that information? Sure. I My business is at articulatemarketing.com. And there's a contact form there if you want to get in touch. All those form submissions come through to my email. And I blog about my experiences as a manager and a leader and a sort of enthusiastic part-time geek at a blog called geekboss.com. And there's a contact form there too. I love it. Geekboss.com. So, well, I think you're a delightful conversationalist. So I'm sure your blog is very, very entertaining. Matthews, thank you so much for being a guest today on Be Brave at Work. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.